Right? She would always pray for me because my dad is pretty forgetful, right? And I've been left. 
right? As a child. So my mom would always kiss me. Mijito, I love you so much, right? She would always do that. And then she'd send me away. And she'd put this little card in my pocket. And she would say this, Mijito, if you get lost, give this to the man. And we're like, all right, cool. And I didn't know what it was. I'm five, six years old. I have no clue what this thing in my pocket is. One day I'm with my dad at Home Depot, and, uh, and, and we're, we're shopping around, and he goes to the next aisle, and he leaves me in the aisle that I'm at, right? And I understand that, oh, oh my gosh, like, I've been lost. If you've ever been lost as a child, it's the worst feeling. Like, like everything around you gets ten times bigger, and you feel ten times smaller. And all of a sudden, you just get that cold sweat that hits you, <laughs> right? And you're just looking. You're like, dear, dear Lord, where are you at? And you're just panicking, Dad, Dad, right? And so I'm looking for the man. That's who my mom told me to find. This obscure person, right? Find this person. She didn't give me a description. She didn't say what he would look like. She didn't say what he'd be wearing. She didn't say where I could find him. Simply find the man. And so I'm walking around, and I pull this card out of my pocket, looking to give this thing to somebody, right? And as I'm walking around, I hear my dad call for me. He yells to me, Johnny! And I come running out, and I take off front. I got tears in my eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. My dad done left me. The person who's supposed to nurture me and care for me and provide for me and never leave me has left me, right? And so I'm frustrated. I'm mad at him, and I'm crying. like, Dad, you left me. And I hand him this card. He said, what's that in your hand? And I hand him this card. I said, I don't know. Mom said when you left me to give this to the man. And that, that if I gave it to them, they would bring me back to her. And I said, like, all right, cool. So, so I give it to my dad, and I'm crying. And he reads this card. And I don't know what it says. He reads it, and he gets mad. He puts it in his pocket. He says, let's go. We leave, we get home, and my, my dad's kind of frustrated, and my mom, and he's kind of, you know, you know, just kind of perturbed at her, and I'm crying. And I, don't, I just want to be with mom. I don't want nothing to do with dad, because mom don't leave me nowhere. Dad does, right? So I want to secure being with my dad. And so my mom would tell me this. We would get together. She said, Mijito, stay close to your dad. Stay close to your dad. And I knew part of it was my fault because I left him. I understood that. So I'm, I'm afraid that I'm getting in trouble. And when we get there, my dad and my mom begin to have a conversation. And he says, what is this? And she says, I gave that to him because you might leave him. And I was like, well, what is it? And he begins to read it off. It was my name, my phone number, and my address with a letter from my mom that says, if my child is found, please call me and return to this address. She had no faith in my dad that, that he would be able to keep track of me. He had no faith in him. She said, do you get lost all you want? You can find out whatever you want. But he is coming back to me. And I understood from a young age that I needed to be close to my dad. That I didn't need to be on the fringe. That I needed to be tied to what he was doing and tied into where he was going. I think many times what happens is in life is we can think we're bigger and better than we need to be. We get on the fringes of life. We get on the fringes of what we're doing. We get on the fringes of our friends groups. We get on the fringes of churches. We get on the fringes of serving. And all these things happen because we think we're bigger, we're better, and we don't need it. I think what happens is, is that 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that that line begins to begin to cut you out and separate you away. We see that when we hang out on the fringes, you and I are the most vulnerable. In Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 7, there's this story of Paul. And Paul's hanging out in this place called Trout. And right before this, in Acts chapter 19, Acts has been chased out of this. He's, he's been chased out of this town. And, and, and he's literally, he's been chased out of Ephesus. And the, the silversmiths, the union group of this place, was so mad at Paul. Because what Paul was preaching was repentance. These people were leaving, worshiping the God of Artemis. They're leaving this. And the silversmiths all banded together. And they were going to kill Paul. They wanted Paul. They caused a riot in Ephesus. 
And as they're rioting, they begin to chant this thing in Ephesus. is great is the goddess of Artemis in Ephesus. And they would chant this thing for two hours. By the time all the officials in Ephesus were able to come together, they simply asked Paul to leave, and he narrowly escaped with his life. We see the beginning of Acts chapter 20. Paul is, is hanging out, right? And they're figuring out a game plan of where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And as they're leaving Greece, the Jews are even plotting against Paul. Paul is a full-blooded Jew, a converted Pharisee, the chief of sinners as he calls himself. God meets him on the road to Damascus on his way to kill Christians, radically saved, radically changed, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And Paul and his people are trying to kill him. In Acts chapter 7, we find him going to this place called Travels, and he's hanging out there for seven days. He's there for a week as they're game planning and figuring out where they're going to go the next weekend. Paul pretty much is a, is a very controversial figure. The Romans are trying to kill Paul. The Jews are trying to kill Paul. And all he's doing is preaching the gospel. Paul doesn't know whether or not he's going to make it another day. He doesn't know if he's going to make it another week. He doesn't know if he's going to end up in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to end up dead. All Paul knows is, I have to preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 7, the story begins to unfold in trials. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And it reads like this. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. It says, Paul spoke to the people. And because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. He says, seated in the window was a young man by the name of Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. As Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down through himself on the young man and put his arms around him. He says, don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate, and after talking until daylight, he left. He says, the people took the young man home and were uh, took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. See, Paul's here in this situation. He's preaching in trials, right? This thing is happening where, where they're going for, for a long, long time. And the way, they would, the way they would do this is they would get together in an upper room similar to something like this. They're meeting on the third floor. And it's like because they had just eaten. They would get together. They'd break bread. They, they, they would have a big meal together. This is a special time because Paul is here. This is a big moment for them because we've got a guest speaker. Paul is here. And they're breaking bread together. And they're all gathering in the third floor in the upper room. And all of a sudden, as Paul's preaching, Paul is not talking to a group of people who don't want to hear what he's saying. They are actively engaged in what Paul is saying. Paul is the kind of man that wouldn't hang around someone he wasn't wanting. Paul understands he's got to be about the Lord's business. I'm about doing the Lord's work. Understanding that he was just almost killed in Ephesus. He's been hunted by the Jews coming out of Greece, and now he's here. Paul would not waste his time with what he was doing. So we know that people were actively engaged. Most of the people were actively engaged in his teaching and what he was doing. And he's preaching until midnight. They've got kids ministry because obviously they've got this young person, their kids who are around. And we understand that this is a mixed group of people as Paul being a Jew. There are Jews present as well as Grecians, as Greeks. Gentiles are there because we understand this young man's name is a Greek name. We understand he's got a mixed group and Paul's preaching the gospel at about midnight. This young boy, they, they, they say in the Greek that he was a neoneos, that he was between 11 and 14 years old. All of a sudden, he's sitting on the outskirts of what's going on. He's hanging out on the fringe, and he begins to fall into a deep sleep. 
I don't know if you've ever searched on Netflix for an hour to find something to watch, and all of a sudden you found something good to watch, and the moment you put it on, you begin to what? Nod off. Happens all the time. I fall asleep to all my favorite shows. All the time. It's, it's the best. We'll spend an hour trying to find something to watch, and 15 minutes into it, I have no idea what's going on. Wake up, it's an hour and 15 minutes into it, you're like, what? And you have to watch it all over again. It takes me like four hours to watch a 50 minute show. It's awesome, it's great, I love it, right? You understand, when you fall into a deep sleep, if you've ever been driving home, you know, you got a nine mile drive taking 45 minutes. If you've ever been driving home, and the sun's blasting in your face, and it's been a long day at work, you just begin to nod off, right? How good it feels to sit out of light and close your eyes for a second, right? Just do it, just ah, uh, right? You love it, it feels so good. The, the, the crazy thing is, is this young man, he just didn't fall asleep. He just didn't pass out. He just didn't, you know, just all of a sudden went into a trance and was gone. It says he slipped into a deep sleep. You understand when you give it into it. You know when it's happening. You understand all of a sudden when you make the conscious decision, I'm closing my eyes. Man, I'm going to find a comfortable stuff. And nobody ever falls asleep in an uncomfortable position. Nobody. I flew Spirit Airlines and I couldn't fly. I, I couldn't sleep because it was so uncomfortable, right? I could feel every bump in the air, right? I could feel the screws. I could count the screws in my back on how many were in the seat. You, you just could not fall asleep, right? Because you were what? Uncomfortable. We see this young man by the name of Eutychus. They did their best to make sure that everybody would stay awake. They lit a bunch of lamps, but this young man found himself a comfortable spot on the fringe. I would imagine as you're sitting there on the third story of where they're at, this had to have been a taller house, had to have been a nice house. This had to have been a great place. And maybe he was there because he was invited by a friend. Maybe he was there because his mother made him. And he shows up just to make sure, hey, I'm being just a good kid. I'm doing my religious duty. I'm showing up, but guess what? My heart's not in it. I'm going to find a good spot on the edge, and I'm going to be looking outside to what's going on. I'm not fully engaged in what Paul's saying. If I like it, I'll engage. If not, I've got an option. And I'd imagine he found himself a nice spot, hanging out in a window where they're at, overlooking the Sea of Cyprus, where they're at, how beautiful it must have been. Maybe as the as moon is hanging over, there's a full moon over the ocean, and he's got a view of the coast. Maybe there's something going on outside of the window that's much more entertaining than this Jewish man by the name of Paul. And he found himself engaged in, in something else rather than what Paul's doing. And as he's done that, as he's been distracted, as he's in this moment, he begins to sink into a deep sleep. Gives into it, hanging out on the fringe, sitting on a window, nice cool breeze. I am comfortable. This is where I want to be. This is great. They can do whatever they want to. Paul can go as long as he wants. Guess what? I'm good. I'm going to take me a nap. And that joker falls out the window. Could you imagine being the kids minister that day? You're in charge of the kids, right? You're in charge of the kids. You are the one. Everybody check in. You got your little name tag. Here we go, right? Could you imagine being the kids pastor? Um, Paul, got a little bit of a problem. Is Eutychus' mom here? That's me. Hey, you mind talking for a second? Your boy's laying on the ground outside. Three stories down. Pretty sure he's dead. You know, say like, could you imagine being that guy? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having having the weight of kids ministry? You're responsible. That is on you. You got fired that day. You're up there. You're LinkedIn. Your resume, all the above. You're gone, right? You, you're out. Paul, without skipping a beat, goes down and he throws himself upon this young boy and he raises him to the he raises him to life. 
Paul did this. It was very specific the way Paul did this. Coming out of 1 Kings chapter 17, you have Elijah, and she's hanging out with this, this widow guy, this widow lady, and her boy. And the boy ends up dying. And Elijah lays his body on himself three times and raises this young man to life. Paul is doing this in a very similar manner, giving him the, the authority, showing to the Jewish people who would understand and know the Old Testament. They would know this, that this man is operating in that same power as Elijah. Raise this young man to life, right? Could you imagine the highs and the lows of life? Where all of a sudden you look out the window, your boy is laying there dead from the third floor. You got a lot of stairs to go down, right? Little stairs, itty bitty stairs, right? And you're running down there and you're trying to get to your boy. He's hanging out, the cats are licking his face, right? The bird's already picking his eyeballs. I mean, this is happening. He is dead. Luke is a physician who's recording this, who would have the absolute authority to declare somebody dead. He is dead. Gone. Your son, you are now down one room. You know, you know, one, one, you know member of your family. Your younger son is going to take your room. This is happening in real time. Dead. You're going home with one less person. Right? The key arrives a little different now. Right? It's a little bit more elbow room. This is happening. Did you imagine the high schools of the family? We showed up here. We came to church. And my boy fell out the window. This, it's wild to see this happen. Paul runs out three flights of stairs. Lays himself on this boy. Picks him up. He is alive. Paul. If it was me, we'd call it the night. Like, look, guys, I'm done. You know what I'm saying? Paul goes back upstairs, eat a couple tacos, and goes preaching again. He goes right for it. What's crazy is this young man found himself in a spot he shouldn't have been in. He should have been fully engaged in what was going on. Nobody else fell out of a window. I'm sure it was multiple windows. No one else recorded fell in a deep sleep. It was a deep sleep. It's a good sleep. You know what I'm saying? And then when you have that dream where you're falling and you wake yourself up, like those terrible dreams, this is that good sleep. When you're just like, bro, the air conditioning is hitting just right. The fan is, oh my gosh. The blankets are nice, right? The mattress hits different. You got a new pillow. Oh, it's good. That good sleep, right? The kids are passed out. You know, just, oh my gosh. That vacation sleep, you ever had that? After the beach sleep, you ever had that? That's money. That's the sleep he's got. And he's just, he's loving it, man. Oh my gosh, this is money, right? And he's in that good sleep. And he's gone. Falls out a window. See, what happens is many of us can get comfortable hanging on the fringe. We get really comfortable having options. Well, I don't need to be fully in because I, I'm good enough. I showed up, Pastor. I'm here. I'm good. I checked my religious duty. Let me tell you something. There's not going to be a perfect acceptance of one in heaven. That's not something they're handing out. They're, they're after your heart. You don't need you showing up for religious duty. You don't need you showing up so you look good for Pastor Gabe and Pastor Vanessa. He needs your heart. That's what he's after. There's a couple of things I want you guys writing down on how we can avoid hanging on the fringe. So some signals that you know of if you've been hanging out on the fringe. Say, am I on the fringe? How am I living? Am I on the fringe? I want you to write these three things down. These little fringe signals, a little test to figure out whether or not you're hanging out on the fringe. Number one is this right here. Is you become overly critical. You become overly critical. Everything, everything you critique. Everything you're after, everything you can do. And guess what? You can no longer receive because of it. Because you've been overly critical. You criticize everything. Why do they do it that way? Why, why, do, we have, why, do, I have, why do I have to do it like that? Why, why are they making me do this? Why are they making me wear that? Why do I have to wear the name tag? Why do I got to check in? Why do I do this? Why do I... You become overly critical. And you begin to question everything. And guess what? You can no longer receive. 
The second thing is this right here. You can check this out. Is it becomes no longer a priority. Where a small group is no longer a priority. When we're, when we're in NWLA, the 101 classes that Pastor Gabe was talking about no longer become a priority. Where showing up on a Sunday night is no longer a priority. Where you got these things, well, well, if it fits in my schedule, if it works for me, if it's convenient for me, then you're hanging out on the fringe. So some areas you can go ahead and look at and say, that's me. That's what I mean. It's no longer become a priority. Well, if it fits, if it, if it works for me, if, if I'm available that night, if my show's not on, if the new season doesn't launch, if this or that doesn't happen, if the kids aren't too cranky, the kids are this. Let me tell you something. Your kids are never going to be ready for it. There's never going to be a perfect moment. If you're waiting for it, it's never going to show up. It's never going to be there. It's a decision you make on purpose. It's an intentional decision you make. The third thing is just right here, just a fringe signal. Is you begin to start to compare things. You get into, you get into that comparison, starting to compare. Well, so-and-so does it like this. Well, why do we have to do it like that? Well, well, well they do it this way, not like that better. Why, why is it happening like this? Because they do it like that. Could you imagine if you're going to compare your wife to other wives? If you begin to do that and say, hey, well, babe, why, why don't you cook like she does? <laughs> why don't you pick up your clothes? You know what I'm saying? Like, why don't you do your own laundry? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, that's real. But when you think about it, you begin to compare. You begin to say, well, well I really don't like the way they do it here. I, I, I really, really, really don't like I wish they would do it that way. If they did it that way, I'd be in. Well, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. You either are or you aren't. You either are or you aren't. So there's some fringe signals that you can say, am I hanging out on the fringe? Is that where I'm at? Have I made myself comfortable being on the outside? Have I made myself comfortable? Am I drawing myself away? Right? Because we see Eutychus, it didn't happen all at once. Eutychus, when he walked in the room, he found the spot. When he walked in the room, he said, that's where I want to be. Oh, my gosh. I can look out the window if I'm bored in here. Money. Like, I, I, I can get a breeze. It's so hot in here. Oh, my gosh, so stuffy. Oh, I don't want to be here. Man, that person smells, right? All of these things are real. And he's sitting there. And he finds a spot. From the very beginning, he scattered out where he wanted to be. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be on the outside. I'm going to be there. And he settled in. He just, just didn't sit. He got himself comfortable. You know what it's like to wiggle to move? To borrow someone's jacket? Put it in your lumbar, right? Get a little bit of, hey, man, man scoot the thing over here. And put your feet up, prop your feet up. Oh, you know what it's like to make yourself comfortable. And he did everything he needed to do to make himself comfortable where he was at on the fridge. It's a process that happens. I'm not saying that every single one of you guys are in this spot. I'm not saying that every single one that this is the only way to tell. I'm just saying it's something to look out for because guess what? It's a process that happens. If you find yourself being a little more critical, say, hold on, look, I feel like I'm getting out on the fringe. If you find yourself beginning to compare a little bit, you say, hold on, I find I'm getting myself out on the fringe. You can come back and look and say, hey, this is a process that happens. What am I doing? I need to reevaluate where I'm going and what I'm doing. So how do we avoid the fringe? How do we avoid that? I want you guys to write this down. How to move out of the fringe. How to make sure we're not hanging out on the outskirts of what God's doing, but to be right up in the middle of everything that he's got for you. The first thing is this right here, is you have to move out of comfortable spaces. You've got to move out of the comfortable spaces and get yourself in the spots that, guess what, aren't as comfortable. We love comfort. Oh, my gosh. We absolutely love it. I have a car right now that has air-conditioned seats. I love it. When it's 103 degrees outside 
And you can bake cookies in your car. Oh my gosh, I love those heat, those air conditioned seats, right? It's fantastic, right? It's awesome. But to say I will not drive a car without it is foolish. To say I, I, I won't ever do that, that's crazy. So we have to begin to move ourselves out of what is comfortable, out of those comfortable spaces. In, uh, in uh, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 42, there's a story of this lady with an issue of blood. She begins to go and she finds Jesus. And in, and in Luke chapter 8, verse 32, it reads like this. It says, that as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. So this lady has a major issue for 12 years. Over a decade, this lady has had this issue, this bleeding, this, this feminine issue that she has had. She hears about Jesus coming, and she says, I've got to get to him. This wasn't make an appointment with Jesus. It wasn't go online and book your appointment, and Jesus is going to visit you via telehealth. It wasn't anything like that. This was she had to make a decision. Get up in the morning. Put your sandals on. Get up in the morning. Do your makeup. Get up in the morning and say, hey, man, I'm looking at the traffic report. It's insane. So many people are here. But guess what? She had to move out of an uncomfortable space and to get what she wanted, to what she needed. She had to first say, all right, look, I'm strapping on my sandals and I'm going. And all the excuses that come with it. Oh, my gosh, we love excuses. I love excuses, too. They're great, right? They're awesome. They're fantastic. But guess what? Excuses get you nowhere. When we see that all the excuses that she would have had, her kids telling her, her mom is so packed, you're never going to see him. You're never going to get to him. You think he's going to talk to you? You think he even knows who you are? Dude, it's been 12 years, mom. This is what it is. 12 years. You've seen the best of the best. For 12 years, we spent so much money trying to get you something that's never happened. Mom, it's impossible. Could you imagine that, that day, in telling yourself, psyching yourself up in your brain, today's the day. Today is going to happen. Jesus is going to heal me. Today it's going to happen. You know how, how crazy it must have been to move out of that house, to begin to take the first steps down to finding where Jesus is going to be. And guess what? We didn't have his route. We didn't know where he was going. You had to guess. You had to find him. You had to move. And we see that the crowds were so thick, they were almost crushing Jesus. It's crazy. Talk about uncomfortable. But guess what? If we're going to move out of the fringe, then we have to get out of those comfortable spaces. This lady, guess what? If she wouldn't have found Jesus... She would have died with this issue. It would have been 24, 48, 60 years, whatever it would have been, would have been her lot. But it ended that day because she moved out of a comfortable space. She stepped out of her house and went and found Jesus where he was. The second thing is just right here about moving out of the fringe is we have to keep a reverence for the word. You have to keep a reverence for the word. When we're in youth ministry, my wife and I, we planted our, our youth ministry at our church. I mean, we get these church kids that just knew, they just knew the word, right? Because guess what? They've been raised in church. And sometimes with us, the word can get so common that it just seems to be whatever. Pastor Gabe brings the word. He said, well, I've heard that before. And so guess what we do? We change the station. We tune out. And we hit up that, that TikTok, right? Like, check it out. You, it's got captions now, so you can have to the volume on, right? You just you scroll through, right? What are you doing? Read scripture. Okay. Right? So I was like, oh, I'm just doing like a TikTok video. Why did you send me an Instagram message while I was preaching? Um, I've had that happen before. It's like, they said, all of a sudden I see the notification. Ping. I was like, dude, you didn't even read the Bible, bro. Come on, we're in the Word. We have to keep a reverence for the Word. This is what it says right here in Isaiah chapter 55, 11. So is my Word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish 
what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. John 6, 35, it says, And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Psalms 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jeremiah 23, verse 29, it says, It is not, it is not my word like fire, declares the word, and like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. Our spirit man desires the word. What we beat back the enemy with is the word. We have to keep a reverence for his word. Amen. It can't be common to us. When we dial in and we read, man, it has to be the same. Lord, I, I keep a reverence for you. The moment it becomes common, guess what? It loses its power. The moment it just becomes words, the moment it just becomes a book, the moment it just becomes duty, the moment it just becomes this thing that I have to do, it begins to lose its power. I, I love watching documentaries, man. I'm a huge documentary guy. If I go watch a movie and learn something, that's a win for me. And I was watching this thing on Discovery Channel about this man. They live with these lizards. It's a weird guy. Super strange guy. But he lived with a bunch of these lizards. And he had like 30 lizards that he lived with. These big, giant, monitor lizards. And he kept his apartment at 85 degrees. And his neighbors would always claim, and, and they would complain that it stunk so bad, his apartment went. And we worked at a mechanic shop, and he would show these guys these pictures of these lizards. They were big. They were like four-foot-long lizards. And he would live with them outside of the cages. And he would tell those guys at work, he would show these pictures of these lizards or whatever. And they would always ask him, aren't you scared of these lizards? Like, no, they love me. They know me. Right? They live with all these lizards, man. He, he said one of the guys uh, they, they interviewed said he invited me over. And he would sit down. These lizards would come crawl on him and like lick him. And he said they, they would like snap at him. He'd push him away and kind of like discipline these lizards. But one day he didn't come to work. And another day he didn't come to work. And another day, he didn't come into work. So four days later, they called the cops. They said, hey, man, you go do a wellness check on this weird guy that lives over there. So go do the, 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 the you know, welfare check on the lizard man. And they go in there, and they knock on the door, and nothing happens. And they're, they're knocking, knocking, knocking. Finally, they, they try to bust down the door, and they push it open. And the dude is laid up against the door. Dead. The lizard's been eating on that dude for four days. It's crazy. They said it was one of the gruesomest scenes they'd ever walked into. But this guy... Literally lost respect for these wild animals. And they had become common to him. And because they become common to him, they begin to consume him. See, when we lose a reverence for the word and it simply just becomes another thing, then, man, we're missing out on a major, major portion of your spirit, man, and what it means. Man, we have to keep a reverence for the word. If we're going to stay in the middle of what God's doing, off of the fringes, and in the middle of what the Lord's doing, we have to keep a reverence for the word. The third thing is this right here. is don't have a divided heart. You can't have a divided heart. You know this, you, you take a signal of French sin on the outside. He, he was watching what was going on outside the window. He, he was not engaged in what Paul was saying. Had really no interest in what was going on. He was looking outside the window. I think many of us have that. We have options. One foot in, one foot out. I'm going to do just enough. Just enough. Man. I'm going to make it into heaven. We're going to be good. I'll see you when we get there. But I'm not going all the way in. I'm not serving. I'm not going to start a small group. Man, I, I'm not going to pursue this. I'm not going to pursue that. Why? Because guess what? I'm in love with this and that. The Lord's called us not to have a divided heart. To be fully into what he's doing. To be totally engaged in what the Lord's doing. Man, if you're serving NWLA, then serve it with everything that you've got. 
Man, plug in with everything that you have. Yeah, I, I'm just telling Pastor Gabe, I believe that everything NWLA has in Pastor Gabe's heart, what he's given him, the answers for everything he has is in this room right now. Amen. That there's giftings in you. There's abilities that you have. There's a word that the Lord's put in your heart. There's a testimony that you have. There's something that you have that, guess what? He's praying for. He's needing. And guess what? It's locked up inside of you. Why? Because you got to divide it up. He said, I don't know if I'm fully in. I don't know if I'm really, I don't know if I really want to, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to do that. And Pastor gets praying, Lord, send the people. Lord, give me what I need. And guess what? I believe the Lord saying, look, what you need is here in this room. Yeah. These people say, hey, I'm in. Pastor gave whatever you need. Whatever you need, I've got you. Whatever you need, I'm serving you. I, I, I believe in what New Wave is doing right here in Downing. I believe what the Lord is doing in L.A. And I believe in the vision that the Lord gave you. Not that Pastor Gabe's the only one that can hear from God. Not that Pastor Gabe has the answer for all of L.A. But I'll tell you this. He's put a word in his heart for this city, for this church. And I promise you, as you begin to plug in and as you begin to serve, not only will you unlock what, what God, uh, God needs in, the, in NWLA, but I guarantee you this, you begin to discover things about yourself that you never knew. We can't have a divided heart. In the spring of 1519, there was this the Spanish sailor by the name of Hernán Cortés. And he sailed out of Spain. They were going to come and they ended up landing what would be on the eastern coast of Mexico, or the western coast of Mexico. They, they began to land there. And as they landed there, they, they stopped at a couple places. And the people began to tell them, man, let me tell you something. Where you're going is super difficult. Where you're going should be really hard. When they finally got to the Spanish conquistadors, they landed there. They began to go and conquer land. And guess what? It was much more difficult than what they had thought. It was much harder than anything they had ever anticipated. Disease. Jungle, people, all the above, it's terrible. And so the people hated so much that they were, they were planning in the middle of the night, they were literally planning a coup to begin to leave Cortez there. They said this, man, we got ships, we know what we're doing, we're going to leave. Because guess what? We got options. I understand that that's what he wants to do. I understand that he wants to die here in some foreign land, but let's go back to Spain. Let's get the heck out of here. These men had a divided heart. They did not want to be where they were at. They were dreaming of something else. And so Cortez got word of what was going on. And he did such a boss move. What he ended up doing was he ended up calling and making the men that were going to leave. The men that were going to run a coup. The people that were going to mutiny what he was doing. He made them burn the ships. And as he lit those things, he forced their heart to be right where we're at. He, the Lord will not do that for you. We have free will. But guess what? As we choose and as we understand, Lord, I'm fully in here, I guarantee you something ignites in you. As you begin to say, Lord, I'm serving here. I'm not hanging out on the fringe. Lord, I'm going to be right in the middle of what you're doing. Lord, I'm going to be tight and close to you. Lord, I'm serving you. Lord, I'm keeping a reverence for your word. Lord, I'm moving out of the comfortable spaces and I'm moving in right to where you're at. And as you begin to move into that, man, you begin to move into the blessing of the Lord, the favor of God. I'll tell you this, I've served from the moment we got married, even before that. My kids, man, all the above, dragging them back and forth to church, all of these things. And I'll tell you this, both of my kids, I can think with full heart, full confidence, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. Man, they pray for people, lay hands on people. That's my kids. My, my wife, our relationship is so incredibly blessed. We live in a house that there's no way we could afford in the natural. But I tell you this, I serve a supernatural God. And as we serve and as we give, he gives back and he serves back. 
And he gives us the favor right back to us. And I'll tell you this, there's no place I'd rather be, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how insecure I would be, than right in the middle of what the Lord's doing. There's not a place I'd rather be.